Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is God's word. So as I've already mentioned, it is interesting. I did not plan it this way for family worship to fall on the fifth commandment. It really genuinely is God's providence. And so I've already seen some like parents like elbowing their kids, like, wake up, you open your Bible, open it. You need to know this. You need to hear, like, I can already see parents like pulling ears and stuff like that. Hey, hey, listen up, honor me. You heard it. You heard what Wes said, just read, honor me. So hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll see that uh, certainly it is about children honoring their parents, but there's actually maybe far more reaching uh, applications and implications from this text than just about children honoring their parents, though that is certainly one of them. I think what we're going to learn uh, ultimately about this is that uh, it, it's, it's really about authority. Uh, and as Jim said, the, the theme of this morning's sermon is authority. And what we're going to learn is that this commandment is about how we respond and relate to the authority structures in our own lives. Not just being parents, but even civil and human authorities and even divine authority. And so this morning, I hope we learn is that authority begins in the most fundamental unit of human society, the home. That is where authority begins. That's where we shape and mold what people think about authority. And it begins in the home. And so that's where we'll be today, in the fifth commandment. And so we've made... Though you think, man, this has been really slow, we've made it to a, like a landmark in the Ten Commandments study. I know you're like, man, I feel like we've been here forever and Wes has been all over the place, but we're, we're at a new juncture in this journey. Uh, so we've kind of finished up the first set of commandments, uh, w- which are about loving God, right? We talked about that, that these commandments are kind of set into two, uh, two things, loving God and loving others. Now we're in the fifth commandment, and we're looking at what... What is it about how we're to respond and relate to others now? Uh, God is not, uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 22, is that all the law and the prophets are about these two things, loving God and loving others. And so God has already instructed us in the first couple of uh, commandments that one, he is the only God that we are to worship. Two, that there are certain ways that he wants to be worshipped. Three, there are certain ways that he wants to be talked about and spoken about. And four, there's a way in which we're to order our lives around him, particularly the Sabbath. And now he says, now I'm going to reorder how you relate and function in society, in the world that you live in, how you relate to other people. So this Christian life and the Ten Commandments is not about just vertically how we relate to God, but is actually is to be a motivator of how we relate to other people. And where that begins, it begins in the family where it begins. So this life is about loving God and loving others. So this is where it begins. God is reordering our lives, reordering our relationships, and those things begin right here with our own fathers and mothers. So the first point on your outline is this. The scope of the command, honor. The scope of the command is honor. The command calls us to recognize the dignity and the authority that God has given certain people in our lives. This is it. I was thinking about how we honor people in our culture. And this is some of the ways that we've come up with things. How we honor people. So we give, them, we give people medals, right? Uh, we give people plaques. Uh, we name buildings after people. We give people statues. We make statues of people. 
We, we name highways after people. I was even reading a Time Magazine article that universities and colleges are now naming bathrooms after like donors and alums. Yeah, right? Louisiana College calls me up, Wes McKay, we just want to honor you for your time spent here at Louisiana College. We want to name the men's restroom after you. Man, I'm honored. I'm honored. I, I, all those years and all that money I spent at that college. Man, and you want to name a bathroom after me. Huh, that just brings me to tears, right? <laughs> so, so we have some interesting ways that we honor people in our society to show that they have dignity and they, they, they've done something. And the Bible also speaks about honor as well and how, how we're to honor people. And it's not necessarily about what a person does that they are worthy of honor. But what God says is it's not about what a person does, but it may be about who a person is. That, that's what makes them honorable, particularly parents, right? And so we need to consider this as parents, what, 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 are, they, what are they in our lives, and, and uh, how are we to respond and relate to them? Well, the first commandment, or the fifth commandment says this, is that we are to honor them. Honor them. God tells them that in their relationship with their parents, it's to be characterized by honor. And some of you have already checked out on me and said, okay, I get it. Yeah, obey your parents. Okay, I got that. Get on to the next commandment. But that's the problem right there. Because guess what the commandment does not say? It says what? Honor. It doesn't say obey, right? It says honor. Now, you might be thinking, Wes, you're splitting hairs here. But guess what? There is a Hebrew word for honor, and it is not here used. This is honor here. So what is entailed in honor, and why doesn't God use obey, but he uses honor when he talks about parents? Well, here's the, here's the reason why I think he uses honor. Because honor is more broad, right? It, it, it covers a, a, a number of different applications in it, one including obedience. And so I think the reason he uses honor is because he's trying to keep us away from rote compliance to our parents. He's trying to keep us away from that and say, no, it, it's more than about just mere rote compliance and obedience to your parents. Honor entails a lot of different things, how you view your parents, how your demeanor and your disposition to your parents, and all those kind of things. And actually, it, it entails not just external actions, but actually the, what our heart thinks about our own parents. Just listen to what this, this one person said. Jared Hood said this. He said, the command is thus about a heart attitude rather than only regulating outward actions. So honor is not just about what we're doing for or to our parents, but it actually has to do with something, how we're, we're recognizing them in our own hearts. And so honor has to do about recognizing the dignity that our parents have and the authority that they have over our lives and that our actions correspond with that dignity and authority that they have. Is that, 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 that our actions communicate that our parents have dignity and authority. And sometimes... Those things don't relate. I'll just give you an example. Let's just say that I walk into somebody's funeral, and I'm totally not dressed for it. I got a boom box on my shoulder, and it's blaring loud music, and I'm singing and screaming along with it. And What would you think about me? <laughs> Remind me to show up at Mr. George's funeral like that. So, but you, you would say, well, some of you would say typical Wes, right? right? You'd say he would do something like that. But you would say... How disrespectful, right? How disrespectful that West does not recognize the dignity of this person and of this situation 
and that he would, he would come like that. He does not recognize it. And so what honor is saying is that when we are to honor our parents, we're recognizing the dignity and value that they have and the authority that they have over our own lives. That's what honoring is. Well, that's definition. And so what would honor entail? What does honor entail? Well, it's almost easier to tell you what honor is not, right? It's almost easier to tell you what honor is not. One author had a really, it's kind of funny, but not really, but he says, well, obviously their children must not kill them, curse them, steal from them, or treat them with scorn. It's really easy to define, okay, what does honor entail? Well, certainly don't kill your parents or, you know, steal from them. Or, that, that's easy, but what does it entail us doing for and to our parents and how we were to think about them? And so honor, honor entails a couple things, and I'll just list these off for you. They're on your outline. It entails listening to them. Listening. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teachings. It requires obedience. That's what it entails. Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, right? It includes submission. Even Jesus Christ, in Luke 2.51, Jesus is submitting to his parents, right? It involves fear and respecting parents. Leviticus 19.3, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And then it also includes supporting and caring for your parents. And Paul makes a very good point about this in 1 Timothy 5. And I'm just going to read this for you because I want you to see the gravity of this. This is what 1 Timothy 5 says when uh, Paul was talking about widows. He says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, what is included in honoring our parents? Well, we are... We are now called, as 1 Timothy 5 says, to support and care for them. And that may mean financial support. That may mean emotional support. That may mean physical support in helping them. But to deny and neglect them, it's actually, it, it's, an, it's indicative of your spiritual state. To neglect and deny your parents and the support that they need. It's an issue. And so honoring our parents includes all these things, but much more. And so, but with honor, there's also limitations, right? Like, there's also limitations. There's stipulations. Is that it's not calling for wholesale submission, blind submission to whatever your parents say. And I know the parents are kind of getting like, ooh, what's the Wes about to say here? So, he's not calling for wholesale blind submission. He's calling for this. He says, you are to honor your parents and whatever they say unless what they're saying is for you to dishonor your God. Is that... Your parents, you are to honor them unless they are asking you to do something that would call you to dishonor your God. Or th that they would ask you to do something that is outside the confines and bounds of Scripture. Now, I know some of the kids in here and the, the teenagers in here are like, hey, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says I've got to clean my room. I ain't doing it. That's not what I'm talking about. Right? Is that we are to honor and submit to our parents' authority unless for some reason it violates our, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Because the first commandment is this, you worship 
God alone, and you serve Him. So our allegiance to our, our parents, yes. Obey our parents, yes. Unless for some reason it dishonors God. And you might be thinking, how, how is that a possibility? Give, give me a scenario with that. Well, uh, maybe not you, but there are many believers around this world who have been saved out of pagan, pagan religions, who have been saved out of different, different areas, Buddhism, Islam, ancestral worship practices. And so just a scenario, so uh, you have decided to follow Jesus Christ, and you go back home to visit your parents, and they ask you, I need you to come to the synagogue, and you need to pray and worship to Allah with us. Well, guess what? You don't, you don't obey your parents in that, in that moment, because you would be violating the first and second commandment. That you alone worship God. He is your God. So that's real. That's what happens. And so our honor and our allegiance to God takes precedent over every relationship. That just doesn't, that's not just to parents, but that's to everyone. And so this broadness of this word honor and what it's calling to us, uh, calling to us to do has vast implications for us. It has vast implications for our relationship with our parents. And some of you in here, uh, you know, you may say, man, I have the greatest parents. I was talking with some people just this past week. They were telling me about their parents. I have the greatest parents. I love them. They are sweet. And that is awesome. It's good to have good parents. Praise God. But there's some of us in here who that has not been our experience at all. Some of you may say, my mom, my dad is the worst person I've ever met. They have scarred me for my life. I, I, I vow never to be like them. That may be your, your scenario right now. And, and so if you have great parents and you love your parents, I, I want to commend you. Continue to honor them. Continue to support them. Continue to love them. Continue to cherish them. Continue with that. But if you have bad parents, I, I want to I tell you also is that you still you can't get out of this commandment. There's still implications even, even when we have bad parents. Example, let's say we have to honor even unworthy parents. The stipulation on this commandment is, yeah, you honor your father and mother if they're honorable. That, if they're not, then you don't have to honor them. That's not the stipulation. Is that we are even called to honor even unworthy parents. Because I guess I can get an amen with this. Parents, we're all unworthy. Well, I, I, we're all unworthy. And so the stipulation on this commandment is not to honor just the honorable parents. It's to honor all parents, even the un, unworthy ones. But sometimes we we're, we even have to honor difficult parents. Is that many, some of you have, may have gone through a, a messy divorce with your, with your parents. Some of you have, maybe have a traumatic experience with your parents. Maybe, maybe you've been abused sexually or emotionally or physically. That may be your experience. And so honoring may look a little bit different for you. But here's what I want to be very clear with. You honoring your parents does not require you to be trampled on and disrespected and abused by them. I have to say that very clearly. Is that you honoring your parents does not require you to be trampled upon, to be hurt and harmed in the process. There's a way that you can still honor them. But through limited interaction. So what that may look like for you is that you can honor your parents by how you speak about them. It doesn't require you to slander them all over the streets. So you can honor your parents, even though that you've had some traumatic experiences with them, you can still honor them, right? You can speak with them, even when, if you may even visit them, 
that you can still have a demeanor and disposition where you still care about the well-being of your mother or your father who you may have had a terrible experience with. Is that we can still honor even very difficult parents that have come through difficult situations. You can honor unbelieving parents. I already gave you that example. But honor unbelieving parents. And this may call you to navigate situations very carefully where you have conversations that won't incite frustration or anger or hostility or create barriers between parents. That may get, you may have to have some wisdom in those situations to navigate those, those situations carefully, even with unbelieving parents. And the goal is this, is that when you honor and love and respect your unbelieving parents, that God would use that as an instrument to draw them to Jesus Christ. That's the goal, is that you and honoring parents, your unbelieving parents, God would use that as an instrument to draw them to Christ. You can even honor unbelieving parents. And the last one is this. And I think we have a big issue with this one. Though we may not think it, but honoring elderly and aged parents. Now some of you think, like, that's not a big deal. I, I, I care for and I love. And many of you in here are caretakers for aged and elderly parents. And praise God for you. I pray for sustaining grace for you. I really do. Is, is, a, is a noteworthy task that you have. But it's an issue. And I think it's also an issue for Israel too. Because when God is speaking to the people, He's not speaking to children. He's speaking to adults when they're hearing this, these commandments. And so there is probably a sense, even in Israel's own life, there might, there might be a neglect of elderly because they don't contribute to society and the society's needs. And so there is a temptation to even neglect the elderly. And so I have to say, honoring our honoring extends to even those who are impaired and aged and elderly. And I think we have a struggle of this even in our own society because we prize youthfulness. We prize young age and things like that. But unfortunately, that's, that's not the case. And though I... I believe in nursing homes, and I believe in hospice care, and I believe in senior citizen living homes. I believe in all these things. Get me very clear. But unfortunately, sometimes we treated nursing homes as dumping grounds of our old people. We, we, we treat them as that. Because guess what? Man, these people, my, my old age parents, they are, they are an inconvenience to the, the style of life that I have. They, they mess up what's going on. They create more chaos for me and more hard work for me. Let's just put them in a nursing home and, and, and put them over there. That is not honoring your parents when it's done out of convenience for us. Now, I'm, again, my, my grandmother and my grandfather both passed in a nursing home, and, and, and we felt like that was the most the wisest thing. So if you need assistance and, and this is the best scenario, nursing homes can be great but we should not use them as dumping grounds. But we actually should, even in, if they need assistance, we should communicate that they're, they're not a burden to us, that they still have value, that they still have care. I, I, I'm going to read this. This rabbi said this one time. He said, To take the fifth commandment to heart is to understand that no one should ever be made to feel that we as a society are simply waiting for them to die. So how are we communicating to our parents, our grandparents, even the people that we may visit in the nursing homes that we, we never see? Are we communicating to them 
that they have value, inherent value, not because of what they can produce, but because God has put His image on them. That's, that's it. Is that production is not the criteria for value. That's, that's what the world says. I promise you that. That's what the world says. You are only valuable if you can produce. Guess what? The Bible says this. You are valuable because God has made you in His image. And we need to communicate that even to the elderly people in our own nursing homes, in, in our own families. Is that you're valuable no matter what you can or can't do because God has put His image on you. That's it. So how we need to communicate this. That the elderly have value no matter what. No matter what they can do for us in return. And isn't that a great picture of the gospel? Isn't that a great picture? We're going to love and care for people who can't return anything to us. But that's the gospel message. Is that God has come and saved us, not based on anything that we can do for Him, but based on solely what He can do for us and what we needed the most. Salvation. So this command to honor is more weighty than just saying, oh yeah, I'll just completely obey parents. No, it calls us to live in a way that shows them honor through our actions, through our words, and how we value their dignity and their authority that they have over us. And so this command is unique in that sense, that honor is a really weighty term, but it's also unique in another sense, that it is the only commandment that comes with a promise. And that's the second point is this, the motivation for the command. Long life in the land. This is God's favor is to be a motivator for honoring our parents. We're all well acquainted with incentives, right? Bonuses, promotions, raises. Incentives are even in the home. Okay, if you TT on the potty, you get one M&M. If you, if you do number two, you get two M&Ms. Well, we, look, I ain't about, I'm all about incentives in the, home, in the home. Look, and so we use incentives everywhere we are, in the home, in the workplace, whatever it be to incentivize and, and to stir uh, people to do certain things. And so this little caveat on the fifth commandment, this is an incentivizer for Israel. Long life in the land. This is why you honor your father and your mother. Long life in the land. This is the promise. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 6.2. What's unique about this command is it's the only one that comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. It's incentive for the people. And so, I know many of you are probably looking at Exodus twenty twelve and interpreting it and running it through, your, through your head saying, oh, yeah, I know what this means. Yeah, okay, kids, listen up. You want to live long on this earth? Obey me. I know, I know that's some of how we're reading this. Hey, you, you, you want to live long? You better honor me, right? You know, I, it's that age-old phrase that we've kind of always, you know, all heard. said, I brought you into this world, and what? I could take you out of it, right? Take you out of it, right? <laughs> if you don't obey me, your life's going to be short. It says it right here in the Bible. Exodus twenty twelve. Unfortunately, parents, that's not the best way to read this. <laughs> so, Exodus twenty twelve, right? Uh, n- not the best way because uh, that's certainly not the tone of this, of this promise. It's not a fear tactic. You know, to, to incentivize and motivate obedience to parents and honor to parents. It's not a fear tactic. It's actually an encouragement. It's a positive thing, right? Honor your father and mother because you'll have long life in the land. So what is it promising? Well, is, it, is it promising eternal life to everybody who obeys their parents and honors them? They're going to live to be 200, 400 years old? No, it's not. 
Because if that were the case, I'd live to be 400 because I was obedient to everything my mom said. Mom, if you're watching this, right here. But the promise is actually not about, about days of life. It's just a general principle, it seems to be, that life typically goes easier when you honor the authorities that God has put over you. That's what that, that promise means. Is that typically, now, I know somebody's going to say, well, that's not how it's been with me. That's so I'm saying typically. That typically it goes better in our lives when we honor and are obedient to the authority structures that God has put over us. Though there are certainly exceptions. Kevin DeYoung says it's this. It's a recognition of the way the world works. The way in which God has designed things. It's not a mathematical formula. But you will generally be much better off after learning to honor your parents. And so honoring our parents, uh, obeying the authority structures that uh, God has placed over us. This is what that promise means. Is that it typically goes better in this life for you. If you obey the authorities that God has put over you. That's what that means. And so this is a promise for us. This is a promise to incentivize and motivate and stir in us. And even for Israel, that's what it was meant to be. Because the land is like the pinnacle for them, right? Getting the land. Being in God's dwelling and His security and His safety and His refuge. This is what they wanted. This is what they were longing for. Because they just couldn't come out of a land that was none of those things, right? And so he's saying, like, long life in the land? Man, the good days are ahead of you. If you can obey, obey even this. It'll be easier for you. So he's using this to incentivize and motivate Israel to obedience. And I think we can really take an application from this. Is that even our obedience should not be motivated by fear of God, but by love for God. And I know that's probably how a lot of us operate, right? I mean, speaking from experience, well, well if I don't obey God, he's going to get mad at me. Things are going to go bad in my life, and then he'll send me to hell. That's what will happen. That's, sometimes that's how, that's how obedience is kind of stirred. Is that It's out of fear of God rather than love for God. And unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the tone of Colossians 3.20 when it says, Obey your parents, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Is that the motivation for obeying our parents is that it brings pleasure to God. Not displeasure, but actually pleasure to God. It brings Him joy. It brings Him glory and honor to for us to obey our parents our love for god is not motivated out of terror our obedience is to be driven by the fact that we delight in bringing glory and honor and joy to the god who has made us and saved us and so motivation matters right motivation matters it it it, it shapes how we act it shapes how we respond i'll just give you an example the other day Jude asked me if we could go in the backyard and play baseball, and Jude loves to be the hitter. He doesn't like to be the pitcher, he just loves to be the hitter. And so uh, I said, sure, buddy, let's go. And he said, can I be the hitter? And I said, yeah, buddy, I'll, I'll be the pitcher. And then he asked me this question. Are you, are you going to be the pitcher because you love me? And, uh, yeah, it brings you awe, right? Awe, that's what I'm saying. And, uh, now, let's just say I would respond like this. No, I'm being the pitcher so I can get this out of the way and get on to better things in my life. I just want you to be quiet, so I'll be the pitcher, I'll throw you a couple pitches, and they'll be done for the day, so I can do on better things, more important things than playing with you. Now, 
My motivation is certainly coloring the way that I'm acting this out, right? Motivation matters. And so the same thing is here with obedience, is that it matters what our motivation is for obedience to God. If we're doing it out of fear, I don't want bad things to happen in my life. I don't want God, God to be angry with me. There, that's not how the commandment is working. That's not how Colossians 3.20 is working. It's working out of, hey, obey your parents because this brings pleasure and joy to the Creator who has made you and the God who has saved you. Is that we want to obey God out of our love for who He is and to see His name honored in this world. That should drive us to obedience, not fear of what God could do to us. So this is, this is what... It's what the commandment's about, is driving Israel to obey God because there's long life and joy and abundant life in God in the land. God delights in our obedience when it's driven out of a love for who He is, desire, see Him, please. So I, I would just ask you, why, why are you obeying God? Why are you obeying God? Internalize that, think about that. Why are you obeying God? Is it out of a fear of what he could possibly do to me? Or is it out of, I want to see this God who has saved me. I want him to be pleased with me and to be honored in this world. That's the proper motivation for our actions and for our obedience. So the commandment to honor our parents is, is motivated by this promise. And that ultimately, that yeah, that the commandment is about our relationship with our parents. But it's digging down deeper to a more fundamental problem with humanity. That being authority. We have a problem with authority. Not just with our parents, but on every level, we have a problem with authority. And so I think that's what broadly this commandment is about. It's, it's narrowly about our relationship, our relationship to our parents. But it's broadly about how do we respond and relate to the authority in our lives. That'll be the point number three is this. The significance of the command. Authority. The fifth command is broadly about the authority structures that God has set in place over us and how we are to respond to them. Anybody ever heard of the G machine? Sounds like a car, but it's not. Uh, it's actually a NASA simulator. So you've probably seen this on different movies. Uh, you know, to prepare astronauts and pilots for the G-force that they are going to experience in space travel, they put them in the G machine. And, uh, and they crank that bad boy up and, and spin around. Um, it, if you've ever been to the carnival, it's that kind of rocket ship thing where you're like stuck to the walls. Anybody ever read that? Yeah, okay. I, I read that that's actually like three Gs. But space pilots go through like 20 plus Gs, something like that. So uh, what they do is that they put these uh, NASA astronauts on this, on this G machine to prepare them for the force that they're going to feel in space travel, to get them ready. And one of the astronauts I was reading, he, uh, he was way back in the past, I can't remember his name, but he said that uh, the G machine is preparing you and giving you a different method of breathing. It's like you have to learn a new way to breathe when you're experiencing this type of force. Like you can't breathe like normal when you're just walking down the street. You, you have to learn a new method of breathing and of how your, how your muscles contract and things like that. It's learning something new, a new way of breathing. And so they put you in this simulator to give you an experience, to, to get you ready for 
for what's outside of the simulator. And I would say this, is that the family is the incubator or the simulator of authority structures. Is that the family is the one who is getting us ready to how we are going to respond and relate to authority outside the home. It is the incubator. It is the simulator preparing us how we're, how we're going to relate and respond to authority in our lives. That's what it's doing. It's getting us ready. It's shaping our ideas, our perspectives, our concepts, what we think about authority, how we relate to, respond to, act towards authority. That's what the family is supposed to be doing. It's a simulator. It's an incubator of preparing us to respond to authority figures outside the home. That's what it's doing. That's what it's getting us ready for. Because if we can't respond well to authority in in the home, guess what? It's not going to go well outside the home's doors. Let me just read what Jerry Vine said. He said this, great line. If you can't learn to get along with your family, then you're going to have problems getting along with anybody else in society. He said, if you have a problem with authority inside the home, guess what? It's not, going to be, it's not going to be any easier when you experience authority structures in, in this world. So the home is the incubator, the simulator of how children, how our teenagers are going to respond to authority outside the walls of the home. It's getting them ready. Because typically those who rebel against authority in the world, guess what? They were just like that with their their dad and mom, right? Augustine said it well. You, You can see it on your outline. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Like, if he's not respectful and obedient to his parents, rebellious to his parents, we can't expect there to be a different change when He's in front of, him or her is in front of teachers or coaches or pastors or principals or police officers, anybody who has authority over our lives. Is that this is where it starts. Is that if you want to think about it in a tier level, these three tiers, it starts in the family, and then we go to human authorities, and guess what the third tier is? Divine authority. So we're preparing our children, parents, for how they're going to respond to civil and human authorities and then how they're going to respond to a divine authority. Because guess what? When they learn that God has complete and sole sovereign authority over their lives, we don't want our children to be like, say what? We want them to be ready for that. And the way that we do that is starting in the home because it's the incubator and simulator of authority. We're preparing them for the authority that they're going to experience in the world and the divine authority that they and all of us stand under right now. That being God. We're preparing them for God's divine authority. And so, if they rebel against the the fundamental one, let's not expect that they won't rebel against the other ones. So this is it. So, we're teaching our children, and not just our children, ourselves, we're learning how we are to respond to authority. So it, if we think that we've gotten out of this because we're parents, and this is about our children, guess what, all of us? This is about us, and not just how our children respond to authority, but how we all in this room respond to authority. It's about all of us. This is what's unique. So I'll give you a couple applications that pertain to parents, but also pertain to all of us. Here's one application. Parents, teach, model, 
and exercise authority in your home. What you teach about authority, how you model authority, how you exercise authority, will be passed on. It will be passed on. So model, model authority in your home. Because this is where it starts. If you model and if you exercise uh, authority in this sense, or if you disrespect authority figures in your children's lives, let's just say this, if you speak disrespectfully about your children's teacher, your children's principal, your children's pastor, uh, a police officer, guess what? They're probably going to do the same thing. And don't be surprised when the tables turn on you and they disrespect you. Let me say that one more time. Is that if you, me, if we teach our children by the language that we use towards authoritative figures, we say, oh, that teacher's so stupid. I can't believe they punished you for that. Oh, that, that pastor's so dumb. I can't believe he said that to you. Oh, that police officer's so, such an idiot. I can't believe he said that to you. Guess what? They're going to speak like that about authority figures. And that day comes, and they disrespect and dishonor you. We can't really be surprised. We can't. Because we've modeled for them what it looks like to honor authority. And Unfortunately, the tables have turned on us, and they've, they've now modeled what they think about authority towards us. So model and exercise and teach them what it looks like to honor authority. Parents, we also have to parent honorably. I know that I've already said that it doesn't matter if you're worthy or not. We're all unworthy as parents. But that doesn't negate the fact that we need to parent honorably. The Bible speaks a lot about how we are to relate to our children. One of the verses that comes next in Ephesians 6 is he says, Fathers, and I think this pertains to all parents, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Don't provoke them. So the Bible speaks about not only, yeah, you are worthy of honor because of the position you have, but because of the position you have, you should be even more motivated to, to, to live and parent honorably. We have to do this. And then for all of us, is that we have to all honor the authoritative structures over us. That begins with employers, civil authorities, landlords, whoever it may be. Because what Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, is that by us disrespecting and dishonoring the authorities that are over us, guess who we're disrespecting? We're disrespecting the one who has put those authority structures over us, that being God. So if you think talking bad about a person who's in authority is okay, guess what? It's not okay because you're speaking about the one who has set them over you. So I know it's real easy to, in workplaces, you may have an incompetent boss. You may have an imperfect, incompetent boss. That, and it's really easy for you to undermine their authority with the other coworkers. It's really easy for you to slander them. Man, look at that idiot. I can't believe he's doing that. I cannot believe he's told us to do that. Man, I'm not doing that. I, do you find yourself talking back to your superiors? Guess what? That's dishonoring God. Because God is the one who has put that person over you. And guess what? It doesn't matter if they're incompetent. And it doesn't matter if they're imperfect. That's not the stipulation of the commandment. The commandment is that God has put them over you in authority over you, and you're to, to respect and honor them in your speech and your actions and your demeanor towards them. Because by doing so, you are honoring the God who has put them over you. 
So honoring even those who may be imperfect and incompetent. And that is very hard. What's most interesting about the authority nature of this passage is that authority was the problem from the very beginning, right? Is that God has created the heavens and the earth and He has created people in His image. And guess what? Genesis 3 happens and the people say, you know what? I don't really want anybody in authority over me. Guess what? You know what? I think it would be better, this world would be much better if I was the one who was in authority. If I was the actual one calling the shots. You know what? Guess what? I, I'm going to call the shots in this world. This God who's maybe, he's not going to call the shots. I'll call the shots. Life would be so much better. And guess what? That is sin. As we try and usurp God's authority, and we says, I'll be the one in charge. Not God. He'll do what I say. So from the very beginning, we've had problems with authority. And this is why we have children dishonoring parents. This is why we have workers dishonoring and disrespecting their employers. This is why we have teenagers uh, uh, basically speaking evil about and to their parents. That this all permeated from Genesis 3. That the rebellion problem that started Genesis 3 has permeated to the whole world where dishonor and disrespect and a, a problem with authority exist. And that it doesn't just exist for our children. Like I said, it exists for every single one of us. Because in us, in our rebellion, we want to say, man, it would be so much better if I was in charge. But that is sin, and that is rebellion against the Holy God. That is anarchy. And guess what? In the course of human history, anarchy and rebellion and insurrection and all those things, those haven't been taken very uh, uh, lightly, right? It's a very serious issue. And God takes that as a very serious issue. To deny and reject His authority over your life is a very serious issue. To say, I don't care what God says. I'm going to live how I want to. That is anarchy, and that is going against the God who has created you. And that is sin. And God punishes anarchists and rebel, rebels. And He punishes them by pouring out His wrath on them. But guess what? There is hope for rebels. There is hope for for anarchists, there is hope for people who have problems with authority. And guess what? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus has come. And he's, he's obeyed all the civil authorities. He's obeyed even his earthly parents who are imperfect. He's even obeyed his own father's will to the point of death. It's Jesus, where we failed and we failed at submitting to authority, Jesus has come and he has submitted to authority perfectly in our behalf. And so... This morning, if you are apart from Christ, you are a rebel against God. As Colossians chapter 1 says, is that we are alienated apart from Christ and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That we are rebels and enemies of God. And this morning, I want to plead with you. You don't have to leave like that this morning. You actually can be a friend and a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ and turning away from your rebellion. You can be made a friend and enemy. And you can come to the realization that, guess what? God's authority over your life is actually the best authority for you. It's not burdensome. It's not handcuffing. It is actually the best thing for you to be under God's good hand and His authority. And He wants the best for you. He wants to do for your good and His glory. God has the best authority. You don't. We don't. So this morning, if you are apart from Christ, I believe with you. Come speak with myself or one of our elders, Jim or David. We love to tell you what life is like 
under the good authority of God, exercised in the King Jesus Christ. And that you can be part of this, this kingdom and part of this, of this authority of God under His good authority for your life. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. Right now, I pray for our hearts that there are many ways that we have rebelled against authority in this life. And for any unbeliever in this room, I pray that they would be convicted of that and find true grace and forgiveness and freedom in the good authority in Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would motivate us who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to respect authority, to honor authority in our lives from our families to civil authorities and human authorities and that we would communicate that to our children that God is our ultimate authority above all these things and that he is to be honored and obeyed. Lord, help us in this. Help us to fight the urge to rebel because we are still fighting the flesh that, that screams at us. God's authority is not good. Your authority, oh God, is not good. But it is good and it is our, for our best. Lord, teach us now through the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we love you and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand.